Episode 52, The First English Colonies in the New World. Hi, my name is Clayton Mills. Welcome to A Short Walk Through Our Long History, a podcast where we look at the events of history and examine how those events shaped our modern world. Well, we're in the modern world, sort of. So I thought it was fitting to change the intro music to something a little more modern. This episode is kind of a crossover. We're looking at the early English explorations of the New World and their first colonies, which actually happened during Elizabeth and James's reigns, so they're kind of part of the Middle Ages. But they're kind of a part of the modern world, the modern era, too, because these first colonies set the stage for the founding of Plymouth Colony, which set the stage for Boston and Massachusetts, and eventually a group of United Colonies, which are definitely part of the modern era. So I'm including this episode in the modern world, but you could argue with me on that if you wanted. By the time that Queen Elizabeth came to the throne in 1588, the Spanish and the Portuguese had already made enormous effort to explore and colonize the New World. But partly because of latitude, where they are located as countries, they had focused on Central and South America. That left a lot of area in the New World unexplored and uncolonized. Early on, the English sent Giovanni Caboto, or John Cabot as he was known in England, to explore the New World, and he, and then later his son as well, explored from Newfoundland down to Florida. So when the English decided to do their own colonizing, they went to the places where the Cabots had already explored. The first English attempt to plant a colony in the New World was organized by Sir Walter Raleigh. Raleigh himself never went to North America, but he did go on several ventures to South America in search of the legendary city of El Dorado, a city made entirely of gold. Of course, we know from the National Treasure movies that that's actually in South Dakota, which is in North America. Anyway, along with a few others, Raleigh put up enough money to set up a colony in what is now Virginia. It was named by Raleigh in honor of Queen Elizabeth, the Virgin Queen. This expedition landed on Roanoke Island in 1585. They were actually aiming to land a little bit farther north in Chesapeake Bay, but for unknown reasons, they landed at Roanoke and they just stayed there. No one's quite sure why they stayed. Roanoke Island is a nicely protected little island in what is now North Carolina. There's other islands a little bit further out to sea from it, including the famous Outer Banks. John B! And Roanoke is a pretty safe place to set up a colony in the sense that it's protected from the sea and protected from the tribes that are on the mainland. But it's not a great place for farming, hunting, nor for prospecting for gold. The group of men who were there stayed only for one year, and then they returned to England with Sir Francis Drake, who we mentioned in episode 49. That happened in 1586. They had set up a settlement, but they weren't really prepared to stay for the long haul, so they abandoned it. To some degree, they were the victims of their own expectations. They expected to find gold immediately, and they weren't really prepared to actually settle and colonize a completely foreign and hostile world. They found some native tribes and they made both friends and enemies with them and there were some skirmishes. 
Eventually, they left, but they made plans to come back. The next year, in 1587, Sir Walter Raleigh again funded another attempt, this time with families instead of just men. I mean, that was probably really the reason the first attempt failed. What young man is going to stay in the new world if there's no gold and no women? Anyway, this second attempt was led by the first governor of Virginia, John White, who brought his wife and his family, including his own daughter, whose name was Eleanor Dale. She was married already. This second colony didn't really do that well either, but it did lead to one very notable moment. John White's daughter, Eleanor, gave birth there in 1588. The baby's name, appropriately, was Virginia. So, Virginia Dare was the first English woman, or first English person at all, to be born in the New World. That's kind of a big first there. Shortly after her birth, though, Governor John White, her grandfather, returned to England to seek additional supplies. But he was prevented from returning to Roanoke by the attacks of the Spanish Armada. So he did not return until 1590, that's almost three years later. When he arrived at Roanoke, all the colonists were gone, leaving no traces behind. They became known as the Lost Colony of Roanoke. Why are they a lost colony? Because all of the colonists, including Eleanor and baby Virginia, everyone vanished without a trace. When John White and the resupply expedition came back, they found that the settlement had been abandoned. The houses that had been built had been dismantled, taken down, and there were no clues to where the colonists had gone. And it sort of looked like they had been gone for a while. The resupply team also did not find like a whole lot of graves, so they didn't think that the people had died slowly and slowly over time, buried their dead. They seemed to have just vanished. According to John White's journal, when he returned in 1590, the settlement was completely abandoned, but he did find a tree with the letters C-R-O carved into them, which kind of hints at the Croatan Indian tribe having something to do with it. The Croatans were a tribe that lived to the south of Roanoke, and the Croatans themselves, being Indians, would not have carved C-R-O into the tree. It must have been carved by an Englishman, but it's not clear what it meant. Now, there are several theories as to what happened, including alien abductions and the like, but the most likely possibilities are that either the colony was wiped out by the natives, possibly the Croatoans, or the colony was experiencing so much hardship that they moved to the Croatoan lands and integrated with the tribes. The Croatoans lived to the south, and they may have just migrated there with some of their stuff, and perhaps they were just eventually absorbed by the native tribe. But they left no records, and there's no clear clues that have ever been found. So this makes this one of these interesting historical mysteries. What happened to the lost colony of Roanoke? Well, anyway, the story of the lost colony made an impact back in England. And so they reorganized. They put together a much better organized and much better funded second effort. In 1607, another English expedition set sail, this time with three ships, led by Captain John Smith. Aiming to land a little bit farther north than Roanoke on Chesapeake Bay, which was, of course, where the Roanoke colony had intended to go 20 years earlier. On May 7th, 1607, they landed on the southeast side of a river which empties into Chesapeake Bay. 
they named the colony that they founded Jamestown after King James and the river, the James River. They built a fort called the James Fort. They named the first house James House, and that was on James Street. No, I'm just kidding. They didn't do that part. But Jamestown, despite the naming problems, was situated much better for survival than Roanoke had been. The land was much better for farming, and the James River and the Chesapeake Bay were full of fish and crabs and other seafood. But despite this, the colony struggled. About 80% of the first wave of settlers died during the first two years. The colonists also had trouble with a couple of the local Indian tribes, including the Algonquin tribe. The colonists did trade some with the Indians, but the trading was confusing and things went south pretty quickly. And so soon they started skirmishing and several of the colonists were killed. And at one point, Captain John Smith himself was captured by the Indian chief Powhatan. But for reasons we'll get into in a minute, he was eventually let go. So later, in late 1609, John Smith and some of the other settlers returned to England to get more supplies and more settlers. And the settlers that remain struggled through an awful winter, which they called the Starving Time. This was the winter of 1609, early 1610. They ran out of food, and they were eating straw and shoe leather, and there were reports of some cannibalism. About 100 people died over that winter. But in the spring, in April, Smith returned with 150 new settlers, and the colony began to thrive again. They learned how to farm their own corn. They learned that from the Algonquins. They fixed up the homes and the fort that they had built. They insulated those things against winter weather and better against rain. And so things stabilized, and the colonists began to make peace with the Algonquins. This was furthered along by the interaction of one of the important Algonquins, the daughter of the chief. Now, the chief's name was Powhatan, as I said before, and the daughter's name, you might have heard of her, was Pocahontas. Years before, when Powhatan had captured Captain John Smith, Pocahontas had interceded, and she got her father to spare John Smith's life and release him. And then she taught him to sing with all the voices of the mountains and to paint with all the colors of the wind. Anyway, she was part of the growing connection between the Algonquins and the settlers, and she became sort of an ambassador between the two groups. Not long later, John Smith took ill, and he sailed back to England, where he eventually recovered. But Pocahontas and Powhatan were told that he had died. A few years later, Pocahontas married a different settler, a guy named John Rolfe, who was one of the more prosperous settlers there in Jamestown. Prior to the marriage, Pocahontas actually converted to Christianity, and she took on the English name of Rebecca. So she and John had a son named Thomas, who was the first recorded offspring of a marriage between a Native American and an Englishman or an Englishwoman. Honestly, he was probably not the first actual kid to be born between an Englishman and a Native, but he's the first recorded one. About two years after they married, all three of them set sail for England. In England, she was received as a celebrity, and she may have even met the king. She definitely met members of the royal family. And then, incredibly, she met John Smith, who she thought was dead. She apparently chastised him for treating her and her father so poorly. After a year in England, they set sail back for America, but before they even left, Pocahontas took ill, and they went back to port. 
She died in March of 1617, and she's buried in Gravesend, England. She met the fate of many, many Indians who met Europeans. She caught a European disease and died from it. The news of her death was hard on her father, and he died also a few years later. John Rolfe returned to Jamestown, but Thomas, their son, stayed on in England with a few other relatives. But 20 years later, he also sailed back to Virginia, and he took over his father's land and eventually became a successful tobacco farmer. And now we finally meet the real star of this episode, tobacco. Europe had already heard of tobacco. It had been imported from some of the very earliest explorers, and it was already very popular, especially in England. The colonists in Virginia had grown some sustenance crops like corn and potatoes, but they also found that the Indians were very successful at growing tobacco, and soon tobacco, which was easy to grow in that area, became the main cash crop of Virginia. It's not overstating the case to say that the success of the early English colonies was because, almost entirely because of, tobacco. It certainly became the key piece of the economy in the colony, and later all the southern colonies. Jamestown, as a colony, succeeded because they learned to grow tobacco, and they sold it back to England and the rest of Europe, and they actually made a lot of money. The first colonists, including those at Roanoke, had expected to find gold, but instead they found a cash crop that made the entire enterprise financially viable. It was basically the promise of tobacco, and then later cotton, that enticed people to leave England and go settle in the colonies of Virginia, the Carolinas, and Georgia. This success led to the formation of other companies that were sent to establish other English colonies in other parts of the New World. But there were other enticements, not the lure of tobacco success, that led to the settlement of the colonies to the north of Chesapeake Bay. Next episode, we'll look at a moment that was, in the end, way more significant than Roanoke or Jamestown. When we look at what happened when a very small ship full of people escaping religious persecution landed in the wrong place, far north of Chesapeake Bay, at a small rock, just north of Cape Cod, just south of Boston. Next episode, the Pilgrims will land at Plymouth Rock. Mm-hmm.